Hello and welcome to another episode of the Technical Roundup podcast. We've only been away for six months, I'm sure you noticed and were very upset about it, but we thought what better way to bring it back than by getting a second episode with Avi Fellman, the co-PM of Block Tower. That's a Chad promotion, you'll notice, from the last time he was on the show. Not saying there's a, a causation or causal link there between appearing on Technical Roundup and your professional life getting better, but for all we know, uh, that's that's possibly the case. Avi, how are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me on. And that's that's actually exactly how it happened. Uh, Ari <laughs> saw that I came on the podcast and he Don Alt is one of his favorite traders. So he's like, all right, well, if you know Don and you impressed him, you get a promotion. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, that's the way to go. It's just you he, he, uh, heard it here first. You come on here and then you get promotions left and right. Sounds very credible. Yeah. Um, and also, as always, brought to you by our friends at the FTX app. If you don't want your family to get liquidated, but you want to send them some shit coins, NFTs, whatever, that's the place to do it. Um, I'm still being outperformed by my sister's Solana holdings, and I just bought the top and a bunch of JPEGs. But we're not going to talk about that. We're going to learn how not to do that uh, and talk about the market more broadly. You should know who. Avi is, if you don't, you're living under a rock, which also happens to be his profile picture. Very fitting. Uh, we'll touch on the NFT stuff in a bit. But first things first, right? I think I'm going to start with micro before moving on to macro. Let's just get straight into the discussion. The, the preamble is always fun, but people like, like this podcast because of more meat and less filler. So look, at the moment, I guess open-ended, what do you think of Bitcoin short term? It, it kind of feels like we've been playing the S&P 500 simulator, but only the downside parts and not the upside parts. Um, so, you know, where do you see the market? You know, at the time we're recording, I'll just post up a chart. And for those listening on Spotify, it's been a pretty steady decline from around 70K all the way back down to 40. And, you know, we've got a couple of green daily candles at the time of uh, recording the show. But it's it's kind of just been a, you know, McDonald's type of retrace from 40 to 70 uh, and back down to 40. Very S&P driven, you know, lots of correlation chat. Uh, what, what's going on? How are you thinking about all of this? Yeah, I mean, I think the, I mean, basically this this move, this downtrend in the crypto market started with the CPI print on November 8th, I believe it was. You know, when CPI came in really hot and BTC just had that move where it went straight up to 69K, peaked, it's classic, and then came right back down into, into the range a few days, a few days later. That's really from my perspective where this, you know, cycle started. I mean, Bitcoin obviously moves in, you know, in, in trends. And I think you can classify regimes like, okay, well, there was the May 19th to July 19th regime. There was the July 19th, which was a bottom all the way up to November, which was just kind of an up only, up only regime. And now basically for the last few months, just kind of been down only. And I think a major reason for that was one, uh, the equity market started looking a bit shaky. It was actually in, in November is when people first started getting a little bit worried about the Fed easing back on their QE and easing back on expanding their balance sheet and potentially signaling that there were a couple of rate heights coming down the pipeline. And that's when the tone of the Fed, there was a subtle shift. And I think that really impacted the crypto markets because uh, I think Bitcoin and specific, you, you kind of need to know what made you your money. And what made you your money over the last year was a loose monetary policy from the Fed. And so if that's going to backtrack, there are at least going to be some participants in the market that are going to withdraw their liquidity and get out, right? Because if that condition is no longer there, then they have to then they have to get out. So 
basically since then we've been in a downtrend and that's that's currently my actual that that's my current outlook right now is you know we're we're sitting here at, at 43k we're you know what is it you know we we got down to 40 percent, 45 percent off off of the highs but from my perspective we're still in downtrend so i'm i'm still playing this with a pretty conservative bet i'm you know i've, I've reduced i've reduced exposure a lot of the new trades that i put on in alts i'll pair them against i'll pair them against ether i'll pair them against btc as a short so i'll go along the alt short btc and basically i'm just waiting to see how how the equity market resolves all the macro uncertainty out there right now and that's not actually an area that i have a ton of edge in so that's why i'm waiting you know i'm not trying to pick a direction i'm just being cautious in the markets right now i think from basically every angle from a market structure perspective from a macro perspective this is just an area where you know you don't want to be 110 percent long at least on like a on a three to six month time horizon right maybe maybe you know when you when we traded 40k you wanted to get super long to get to 43 not my style of trading but um yeah I, from my perspective we're 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 in a we're in a downtrend in in btc and you, you just have to respect that I like that answer i mean of course I'm you do kind of, <laughs> i mean i'm looking at it the same way and i'm I've been pretty much saying the same thing like that. It's really hard to trade the S and P when it's like moving down and it's really tough to trade Bitcoin when it's kind of emulating the S and P. Do you think that's going to like stay or is it like something where you think, okay, like give it half a year and then the correlation dies down again and like we return to normal. Yeah. So I think actually right now, and for actually the last year, basically Bitcoin has been trading tick for tick with the S&P. Anytime there are no idiosyncratic flows into Bitcoin for, you know, other reasons. And those other reasons could be, you know, macro managers are are seeing uh, inflation's coming in hot and they want to position ahead of that. That other information could be they, they just see momentum in BTC. So BTC tends to ignore the S&P when there's a bit of FOMO in the air. But whenever whenever we're in a downtrend or whenever we're in a muted vol regime where bitcoin just isn't realizing a ton or it's just been you know not not flat but hasn't seen crazy moves there's not a ton of momentum it's kind of just like a chop down market or a chop up market i think you're almost always going to see correlation with the s p because there are a ton of correlation traders in the market so i think what needs to change in order to in order to get out of this regime right now is you need people to start reallocating to Bitcoin for, for whatever reason they choose, um, you know, and that could be as simple as there are a bunch, maybe there are a bunch of pension funds out there that were waiting to allocate to BTC and they finally got approved and they're just moving slowly. And once they get, once they get approved, they're going to start buying and, you know, it was bureaucracy that was holding them back. I don't think that's true, but it's, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of like that, right? Like you need, you need some spark. You need some, you need something to drive interest back to back to BTC and reallocate in order to break this correlation because you know whenever there are low volumes going through it's just going to trade with the S&P and I think a major reason for this so a major reason in cor for correlations in general is uh, a cross asset holder base so if a bunch of people hold two assets whenever one asset goes up and it, or one one asset goes down in order to rebalance your portfolio you have to shift around exposure and so I just think a lot more people now more than ever hold both bitcoin and equities on their balance sheet so whenever equities go down you know rebalance you got to sell a little btc equities go up you know sell your sell your equity buy some btc um so i think that's a lot of what's going on in addition to all the 
all the fun people like uh, Citadel and Rentec that are now trading this market, that are trading off correlations and taking all of your money. Don't don't quote me on that. No, not at all. They're not actually taking your money. They're just, they're just you know they're they're equal market participants. I'm taking my own money via my decision making <laughs> yeah. process. No, that's the way to it. <laughs> you, you mentioned like conservative and Bitcoin needs like some sort of spark catalyst, etc. If all of that were to come together, what would the signs be, or what would it start to look like if you're getting a turnaround in trend? So is it just like I imagine it's not purely technical, obviously, but there would have to be some sort of either break in market structure or evidence that the tides are shifting. Um, and, and obviously, it works well when narratively it works and you look at the chart and it's going up i know that sounds very simple but that, that's a good way to know whether your perceived narrative is is real or being priced inappropriately so in terms of you know looking forward if you were to come on let's say on another time and then you'd say look now the last show conservative needs a catalyst downtrendy but now the environment is xyz which looks significantly more positive what are those xyz what might they look like so that's a really really good question and I've got a pretty, uh, pretty sad answer, which is that a lot of it is, a lot of it is actually technical, uh, for me at least. It's, Boo him! You wanna, <laughs> you wanna, you wanna see where you know, where you can find that areas of supply are no longer areas of supply because all the sellers are out of the market, and areas of demand are not able to be you know punched through, and you want to start reclaiming a couple of key levels to give confidence, confidence to the market. And I think that's actually a very, fairly reasonable way of, of trading this market from a, from a little bit more sophisticated standpoint, but that is, I do, I do look at that. I don't, I don't want to say that I don't look at that and pretend that I, I don't, I don't look at the charts because I do, but from a little bit of another angle, one thing that you have to consider is that a lot of people are holding back their allocations because of macro weakness, because they're not sure what's going to happen with rate hikes. And so I'm ripping a little bit of this from the Arthur Hayes uh, thesis, but he, his blog post was really, really well done. And I think it summarizes a lot of what macro allocators are thinking right now, which is let's wait to see how March plays out. Let's wait to see how the first potential rate hike, rate hike plays out and how the market reacts to that. We'll tell you how people are positioned, right? It'll tell you, if people were calling the Fed's bluff, it'll tell you if they thought that the Fed was you know, on track and that the market is actually priced with the correct expectations, or it'll tell you if people were overly hawkish based on what the market does after, you know, through and into the first rate hike. And so I think that'll, that'll be the key, right? So let's say March comes and goes and the S&P's actually trading up, then you know that the market's actually priced in the proper amount of bearishness and maybe it was overly bearish. And now we can, we can start to reallocate because I think what you need to see is you need to see signs of institutions moving into the market. Because I'll tell you one thing, retail doesn't care that much about Bitcoin right now. So you need to find, you need to find large buyers like uh, more cities like Rio or more, more large, uh, large people coming in and allocating to Bitcoin. And I think a lot of that just rests on the, on the macro, on the macro scene. So from my perspective, it's, it could come early. And the way that I'd see this allocation come early is basically just through price action and try to and try to trade that or you get some sort of time validation, because I think there's a bit of decay on this bearish thesis, right? Where the longer the longer we go and the equity markets don't flush, the more likely it is that we're going up uh, in, in BTC terms and, and in equity terms, because it, the less uncertainty we, we have, right? So uncertainty about these rate hikes die 
a little bit every single day. And so the outlook gets better every single day. It's sort of like a, it's almost the opposite of Q4 of what I was, what I was talking about on a couple of different podcasts. I went on and I said, Hey, a bunch of people have this bullish thesis into, into Q4, but every day that it's not bullish, it actually gets increasingly, increasingly bearish by a ton because there's almost a time limit, right? On the bullishness to appear. There's a time limit for that. It's like anti-Lindy, so, right? The longer it's about, right. the less likely it is. To exactly. And so I view, I view this, this Q1 basically with the exact same thesis where basically we either need to nuke in the next couple of weeks or maybe we don't nuke at all. Uh, that's the best kind of like thesis to have when you both have like a price invalidation and like a time invalidation, because if you're just sitting there and you don't know, okay, um, is this like going to play out or not? And you don't have like any time horizon. It's like, it's really tough because then like you just have to wait for the price. I love it when you actually know, okay, if this doesn't dump in the next few weeks or months, uh, it's probably not going to dump at all. And I totally agree with you there. Um, you mentioned Arthur High's uh, article, and he kind of mm-hmm. said in that that he could see like something akin to March 2020 happening again. Do you like agree with that, or do you just take it as it comes? Yeah, I don't. Nece- I don't necessarily agree with that. I just don't think that the same amount of leverage is in the system, and I don't really foresee a scenario where the S and P decides to nuke thirty percent. So, I mean, I'm not obviously a macro expert by, by any means, but you have to admit that it was a pretty extraordinary set of circumstances that led to a March 2020, where the entire world was shutting down for a virus that they had never heard of. And people were genuinely panicked about, oh, are you know, hundreds of millions of people around the world going to die? I mean, that's to, to, get, to get a March 2020, I think that's a little bit extreme from my perspective. But I could definitely see a washout. Like I could definitely see, oh, maybe this trades back to back to 35 and 33. And I think for a lot of people, because of the amount of bullish tilt that I'm seeing from everybody, that would feel very bad. But it would certainly be no March 20, right? But I, I do think that basically, if if this trades 35, um, a lot of people are going to be working at McDonald's. <laughs> working back at McDonald's. Yeah. Working back at McDonald's because I mean. Basically, every single person that I talk to is bullish. Um, and why are they bullish? Because Bitcoin's down 40%. And actually, you know, that's like a pretty reasonable reason to be bullish. And, you know, of, of all the reasons to be bullish, that's, a, that's actually like a pretty reasonable reason. But it's not good enough for me uh, at this point. Um, you know, 50, 50, 55% when we saw those like crazy, crazy, crazy stacked bids down in, down in July and May. And we saw massive amounts of accumulation. And basically every print that was hitting the book was large on the buy side down there. And now I just don't see that. I don't see value in the same way. And so from my perspective, it's just a, you know, Bitcoin's down 40%. Therefore it's a buy just doesn't like, it just doesn't sit with my, my take on the rest of the market right now. Mm -hmm. uh, Personally, I I don't know how you guys feel about it. No, I actually feel that I feel like you do with like macro with Bitcoin. Like if it doesn't move off of this 40% kind of drawdown soon, like it gets increasingly more and more bearish, right? Because like mm-hmm. a bunch of people are buying because it's down 40%. And I did the same. Like I saw it go down 40%. I was like, okay, it's going to at least short-term bounce. But it's like I see a lot of people like buy in because, okay, 40% is like the cycle low. It's going to go up. And if it doesn't go up from there, like 
I mean, where does it go, right? Because like a bunch of people are allocating towards like this this thing where okay, Bitcoin is down forty percent. Now it's gonna be up only again, and um, they're gonna be invalidated if it doesn't move soon. Because uh, yeah, they're just basically buying into like a bearish trend, and there's a time limit on that for me. So yeah, I totally agree with you on that. Um, I think like in general, like if you're shorting the forty percent move down, you're kind of doing something wrong. Uh, unless you've just kind of been shorting the entire way down, because there are a bunch of people, like you said, that that are going to buy the forty percent drawdown. It's just um, like buying it is quite scary with like everything looking like it does. Which I mean, I guess has always been the case in crypto history. Like whenever Bitcoin's down forty percent, it's scary, and then it bounces anyway. Um, but yeah, for me, it's like it has to move relatively soonish. Otherwise, I I think it just makes sense to kind of buy the liquidations of everyone that's uh, <laughs> buying here at 30k. Yeah, I'd I mean, love a lot, that. A lot of your re-entry or, or kind of getting conviction back criteria are strength oriented, like, you know, not seeing supply everywhere, some imbalance in the order books, whatever it may be, just like different market structure to what we have now, mm -hmm. as technical as it may be. Um, do you have an area also where it's like, okay, maybe I'm not seeing the type of strength or shift in flows that I'd like to, but at this point it's down so much or quote unquote so cheap, be it by historical levels or from the high, whatever else, that I, I'm going to punt because it's value and because it may be so close to invalidation, etc. versus waiting for signs of strength. Because obviously there's like a different, you know, it's a different trade. You know, if you buy the strength for the later entry or you buy when it's like really shit because maybe for a short term punt or the your risk reward is quote unquote optimized. Is there a kind of a point where you think, look, it's getting weaker or that, you know, that strength hasn't come in yet, but it's so low, so cheap or whatever other adjective you want to use that it, it's worth a punt just as, you know, as a differently contextualized type of trade. Does that make any sense even as a question? Yeah, no, it makes it makes a ton of sense. I mean, it's it's a good framing, right? So like whenever you're whenever you're not in a position, you're kind of as a trader, you're always thinking, okay, well, what what gets me back into a position? And I'd, I'd characterize my overall positioning right now, the way that we're running, we're running BT is that we're not really taking a position here. We're kind of neutral. We're agile. We're ready to act. And just as you said, whenever you whenever you're not in a position, which I actually think for for the majority of people, it's good to not be in a position because it helps you think with a clear mind. Because oftentimes when you take a position, especially if you're a newer trader, you know, you've been trading for like a year or two, what will happen is you'll get a huge amount of bias towards that position. And so whenever you're in an uncertain area, you can't assess it correctly. And I would characterize this as a pretty uncertain area. So I think being not being in a position here just helps you kind of, you know, step out, see the big picture and understand understand how to position. So you, you obviously need a plan. Okay, where do, when do I get back in? Get back into the upside and get back into the downside. So I think I covered covered the upside. And to put some more specific numbers on there, I'd say that if we could flip that 46, 48 area, get above it and stay there for a bit, then maybe I'm buying, you know, I'd probably be buying like 52, 53 at that point, but that saves me a lot of pain. Um, so that that's where I'd be looking to get back in on like a, on a longer term time horizon. And to the downside, I actually don't really have specific price targets in mind. I generally let the market tell me, um, you know, I generally let it, I'll look at a bunch of data and statistics and say, okay, well, uh, you know, th these, these are the types of sellers. So for example, if you get like a crazy liquidation wick down, uh, then by the time most of the selling are, you know, small liquidations and I'll just be buying that 
probably. Um, you know, I obviously be looking for a large move on that. So something below 36 K, uh, or, you know, if we grind down there, then I'm not going to buy 36 K. So a lot of it is just how we, how we reach those levels and a little bit similarly to the upside. I just have, I, I don't, I don't think it's possible to get that many different ways that we break through to the upside at this point. And so I'm just less concerned with how, what that looks like. And I'm more concerned with price levels. Whereas to the downside, I could see a variety of ways that we get there, whether it's a liquidation wick or, or a grind slow crab lower. Um, so I kind of have to assess that as it comes up. But I think what you'd be looking for is you'd either be looking for uh, a crazy inefficient, like two to $5 billion liquidation day, or what you'd be looking for is a slow grind that sort of peters to a stop and then you get a God candle and then you follow that God candle. <laughs> That's kind of what I would, how, how I would characterize trying to pick a bottom here. And I view that kind of similarly to how we bottomed in July where, you know, we, we ground, we ground lower, we sold into 29 and then we just had that God candle to 31, 32. And everybody was like, Oh man, like I didn't get to buy below 30. And so I'm not going to buy here. And I was just buying a ton at 31. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I didn't like, I didn't bottom ticket, but that doesn't matter because this thing's about to reverse itself. So you just, you know, you, you take the highest probability setups you can get. Yeah, I like that. Go on, Don. I mean, whenever you have like these big, big candles, right? It's usually like a really good like place to at least look at it closely. And uh, yeah, I actually agree with you there. Um, but in general, like we, we all agree, I think that like Bitcoin is quite boring now. Um, like we all don't really think that there's any need to jump into anything. Is there anything like in crypto that you do look at that you think like it's interesting right now now or is it like in general just like okay macro is kind of uncertain so i'm just gonna stay away from everything oh yeah i mean i'm glad that we get to talk about this now because bitcoin is boring as hell oh for sure <laughs> but like everything uh i mean it, it's 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 you need to, you need to talk about it right because you, you need to talk about bitcoin because bitcoin dictates direction especially if it's gonna if it's gonna trend and so you need to you need to be aware of it and you know, position accordingly, but the crypto market is seeing so much dispersion right now. And there's so much alpha to be generated. It's, it's kind of nuts, right? Because what you're, what you see is you're, you're seeing a ton of different layer ones pop off based on usage. You're seeing apps start to innovate a little bit more. You're seeing new products come out. You're seeing things like jewel, uh, really pop off in the gaming, in the gaming space. So actually a lot of my time right now, we just hired two interns at, at block tower to, to help out with this because what I've realized is you can't have your eyes everywhere on crypto anymore. I mean, for people like us that have been in this space for a while, I think it's, it's a little bit, it's a little bit weird, right? Because two years ago, it was pretty easy to have a handle on everything that was happening. Even a year and a half ago, even in March of this year, you could reasonably one person grasp, you know, 90% of what was happening in crypto and at least like know what was going on. And now it's just literally impossible. And so, uh, you know, I think, I think what's happening is that the space is fragmenting a ton and therefore capitalist fragmenting, which is making Bitcoin less useful for an overall barometer in the market, which means that you need to be paying attention to specific areas really closely. If you want to, you know, make any, make any money in this market, it's no longer just a beta call, right? I think it was pretty easy, uh, back then because you could just say, okay, I think Bitcoin's going up. And if I want extra juice, then I'm going to buy alts. 
And now it's just, it's not as easy as that, right? Bitcoin could go up and a bunch of alts could be down. Bitcoin can be down and a bunch of alts can go up. Um, so I think it's, it's a pretty fun market for me, especially as a hedge fund manager, because this, this is the type of market where fundamental research really plays off and informational flow really plays off, uh, pays off. What I mean, what I mean by that is not like, uh, anything other than paying attention to different ecosystems, being in different discords, reading, uh, different medium posts, understanding different protocol upgrades is so useful at this point that I think if you're, if, if you're not doing it, you're just not in the highest alpha areas right now. Yeah, no, that definitely seems to be the case. Thing is, you touched on it, but the wisdom, quote unquote, back in the day, which was, you know, like six months ago in crypto terms, which is what you mentioned, right? That the market is somewhat dependent on Bitcoin direction, or at the very least, Bitcoin volatility. Uh, and you would use that as your, you know, I think barometer is the perfect word for it, before then discussing how much you want to kind of poke your head out on the risk curve, right? So do you think those days are genuinely over? And, and you can, you know, especially if you're a new entrant to crypto, or if you're making ecosystem plays, whatever, you, you can frankly kind of not care what BTC does, because that narrative became very strong, especially after the, you know, first of all, layer one outperformance, and second of all, Bitcoin's yearly returns just weren't that great. And now I, I've noticed almost like a full flip, whereby you're, you're just a boomer if you if you care about BTC, and anyone doing anything is, is you know, doesn't care and takes takes the trades um, as they are, and, and not as a derivative of Bitcoin direction, you know, do you think that's just, is, is that the new normal basically, or is this like some sort of stretched phase in the market where we get very dispersed and then similar to, um, you know, April, May of last year on the downside, it all snaps back very violently. I guess how much longevity is there to this new way of doing things, if you will? I think that there's actually going to be much more longevity to this than there was in May. So I always am wary about the rubber band effect where things you can outperform in alts until Bitcoin really has a collapse and then everything else goes down, you know, 60% against BTC. But I'm going to take a stand here, kind of the same way that I took a stand the last time that we were on this podcast where I was like, all right, I think this is how Bitcoin market is going to play out. I'm pretty confident that this year is going to be a range from Bitcoin. I'm pretty confident that we're just going to crab sideways for the year. And I think that they're going to be periods of trending. And so I think we're probably going to have periods where, you know, we'll, we'll run from like 40 to 60 on something. Or we'll run from like 35 to 55 on something. But overall, I would be surprised if Bitcoin NZ are outside of a six, uh, outside of a 30K to 70K range, which means that in aggregate, I think alts are going to do really well against Bitcoin. And it's about managing risk during, during those trending moves. So one example I give to this is it's all about the micro and then mid and then macro. So on the, on the micro, you get dispersion. On the mid, you don't really. And on the macro, you get dispersion. And what do I mean by that? Well, if you look at Bitcoin from May 9th to today, Bitcoin's down from 50, 58K to about <coughs> 43, right? What happened during that time? Well, on the initial leg down, when it collapsed 50%, you have things like AVAX, Solana, Luna, all fall 70% or more. But today you look at those coins and despite the fact that Bitcoin's still down over that time period, these guys are up like five, eight, 10X, right? And so what you get is you get on the short time frames you get dispersion like we're seeing right now. 
on the mid time frames, yeah, like Bitcoin's down 40%, they're probably going to be down 40%. But on a more macro time scale, you can have alts like crazy outperform. And I think that's just a function of people's attention coming away from Bitcoin and, and into, into other assets, right? And I think a huge portion of this is, and Sue said this a few times, and I think it's just so accurate. People in crypto, they always want something new and they want to be new to something. And Bitcoin isn't new anymore and Ethereum is not new. And so what you have or who's allocating to Bitcoin and Ethereum, it's not the broader retail market. It's not your average person getting into crypto. It's actually the people that like institutionally have to allocate there if they want access to the crypto market. And so it's actually a pretty small by number amount of people that are now exclusively buying Bitcoin and ETH large by dollar amount sure huge by dollar amount compared to the others but small by number and so i think what you're seeing is in this dispersion over time i it's it's just a reflection of where attention is in the crypto markets at this point and it's it's moved it's moved away from btc so the way that i'm i've been trading this and you know stop pontificating a little bit and maybe give some useful data points is the way that i've been trading this is looking looking for altcoins that have events that have catalysts that you can trade around and putting those trades on for, you know, like a three to four week time horizon and pairing that against, you know, a couple of shorts in BTC and ETH. And you can generate a ton of alpha that way. So near was a great example of this. <coughs> you could get a, you got a two X out of near while Bitcoin drew down 15%. Right. And so that actually was a, was alpha on both sides. I mean, it didn't have to be, but it was alpha on both sides. And I think that that type of trading is, is repeatable across the board right now. And I also do think that there are a bunch of people building some pretty interesting things that, uh, that are going to, are going to get a pretty, pretty big traction. I won't mention specific names, but, um, the general direction that I'm going with this is that, uh, dApps and DeFi are really, they're, they're innovating on a token economic front. And so the top innovators there I'm looking at, and I think people are going to look out as well. And so it's, it's, it's stuff like that that I think you can latch on to and say, hey, maybe I need to go spend my time learning a little bit more about the fundamentals and start betting on that. Because I think that's actually going to matter a lot over the next six months as Bitcoin, in my opinion, ranges. Yeah, Don, it's I mean, the old BTC redemption arc. Surely you <laughs> must be delighted. It is, this, right? Yeah, yeah, I love it. I mean, in general, it's, it's kind of crazy because like my entire thesis for this year is pretty much the exact same thing. Um, well, now it is. I nice. bet. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I've been, I've been saying like I could see like this and next year like just be like a boring range for Bitcoin. Um, one thing that I've been saying that I want to hear your opinion on is basically like with with the altcoins because I think in general we've kind of entered into like a PVP market more so than like we have been before. And what I mean by that is that like there's less new people coming in. So you don't necessarily have like a bunch of people like sponsoring the long side. So it's more like, okay, there's a bunch of traders in the market that are trading um, one direction or like in general, like just swapping from one coin into the other. And then if you're like too late to move from one thing to the next, which basically you said by saying, okay, what's the new thing? Um, then they miss out or lose money. Do you think that that's the case? Or do you think it's just going to be like Bitcoin ranges and all coins get like a broader kind of interest from new money or is it just the old money kind of chasing the newest thing until like the entire market has like an uptick again? 
personally, what I think is that there is actually new money coming into this space. And just anecdotally, talking to a lot of the people that are coming in to, to invest in the fund and talking to a lot of the people that are coming into the market in general, they're asking about alts. And so a lot of money is, is being allocated to things like L1s right now because that's viewed as more sexy and more interesting than BTC for, for better or for worse, right? So the reality of the, of, the, of the situation is that crypto is really wide and Bitcoin is sound money and that's kind of where it's niches. That's, that's where it's niches. And so the type of person that's attracted to that framing is one type of person and the type of person that's attracted to the framing of an Ethereum or an L1, which is, hey, we're building a, ba a new base layer to build applications on for a new type form of internet. Well, that's actually a completely different set of two different sets of people. And the Ethereum crowd, I think is larger. The, the people that that vision of the world appeals to is, is much larger than the vision of the world that Bitcoin provides people. And so when people look at this, they go, okay, if I'm going to allocate to crypto and there are sort of two different types of crypto, they're the cryptocurrencies and then they're, you know, L1s and all this other stuff. I, I actually, I vibe with the L1s a little bit more. I vibe with that vision of the world. I vibe with betting on a new, new internet more than I vibe with betting on a new form of money. And so I think that's just what I'm seeing. And I'm actually, I'm not necessarily saying that that, uh, you know, is the correct way of thinking about it, but that is how people are thinking about it, which I think does set up for a couple of things. <clears throat> One, it sets up for a long-term dispersion. But two, it sets up for some pretty gut-wrenchingly uh, violent BTCD moves upwards at some points during this year. Because I think basically the constant is going to be people are going to feel overexposed to alts and underexposed to Bitcoin. And so I think there are going to be periods where BTCD just rips in your face. But like over a year time frame, I'm pretty sure BTCD is down. Uh, but it'll cause, you know, that sort of emotional reaction where you, you, a lot of people's portfolios are going to be all in alts and they're going to see... Bitcoin go up 20% while alts are flat and they're going to FOMO in and then maybe BTC will be up 40% and then it's straight back to alts. And, you know, you, sh you really shouldn't have rotated, um, you know, unless you, unless you got the, got, unless you got the full move. I can see that playing out a lot this year, actually. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I think in general, like with the rotation stuff, it's going to be really interesting because it's just been like the sideways stuff. We've done a lot of that from 17 to like 20, basically. Right. So like, it's not mm -hmm. that long ago, but a lot of the people in crypto nowadays aren't really used to that, right? They're used to up only um, because they joined basically when we broke the new all-time highs towards like 20K. So it's like really interesting how they're going to fare in, in a market like that. Do you think in general, like when Bitcoin goes like in a range um, from 30 to 60 or from 30 to 70, um, that we're going to see like the, the traditional old season come back? Or do you think it's more like a, a sector play? Like one sector pumps and the next sector pumps and then like just rotate? I think that the traditional old season is only going to come with a Bitcoin or ETH wealth effect. And so as long as BTC isn't making a ton of new people rich, I think that's going to be sector plays. That's my take. <clears throat> I also think one thing that is discounted but also is extremely important is the fact that there's some pretty high quality available, uh, high quality research available now in crypto. And so instead of people just aping into anything, they can be a little bit more selective and their favorites out there. Um, so I do think that there will be a little bit more quality in terms of, you know, over the course of a year, what alts are up and what alts are down. And uh, 
I, I view Doge as some of the highest quality coin out there. So if Doge rips in my face, it's, it's you know, I'm hedging myself here. I was going to say, I don't know where Avi's finding all these unicorns who like consider Bitcoin as money and then, you know, split that with ETH where it's like smart contracts platform and then they read research. Like this is how most people trade crypto, right? Uh, especially not it's the not, new entrance. It's not, but I think, um, I think one thing that people are forgetting is that by number, it's these, it's a lot of, you know, crazy people in crypto punting Shiba and punting Doge, but by dollar, oh, like what's sure. driving, what's driving the markets now, it's actually people that are doing their homework. Yeah. And that homework is, yeah, I, I agree on the research angle. That's very good. I do think that um, what we'll see next year at some point, uh, or at least if the regime, as you mentioned, changes is the the whole being this cerebral rotator is, is going to end up sort of rubber banding people in the face where once the environment shifts from kind of sectoral mercenary Hasaka pumps to just more sustained trends as winners keep winning, those who try to like over rotate or, or sell their winners too early by definition, uh, they're going to have a have a really rough time. Uh, and, and that transition phase, which is recognizing from, okay, I need to you know, what's the catalyst of the week, two weeks, what's the Hasaka basket that I have to be trading, etc. When that environment shifts to something, you know, like uh, a new narrative performing well across three months, six months, 12 months, etc. There are definitely going to be some sort of pain trades that come from that of people selling too early to rotate. I think that's going to be honestly, my, 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 I guess my hot take is that's going to be the new form of um, PTSD. So the present form of PTSD is like bear market, BitMEX, BART pattern, etc. That's still pretty prevalent. I still, I think the next one, uh, when when the tides shift a little, is going to be people who are just used to rotating. So for the life of them, they can't hold on to winners. I, I'm just gonna, I don't know what you guys think of that. It just came into my head. Yeah, it actually makes a ton of sense. I think I think that's probably accurate. Is I think rotating is going to get a lot, probably a lot harder, and you might just want to just sit in, you know, some really high quality stuff that that you like at some point, and just not try to rotate out of it and not get chopped up too much. I could for sure see that happening. I could for sure see that. And happening. it's like a hard I, thing to I, do I, what you're asking these people, right? Cause it's not only timing the market, but it's also like timing the sector within the market and then going from one to the other. It's like a tall order, you know, or you could just have sock on notifications. <laughs> Don, what do you think of this advanced PTSD form? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, I agree in general. I think when the market is, and I mean, I, I, I still think like there's going to be a lot more PVP in the market than, than we have had during like the run-up. Um, so I think when the market is like that, you got to be really, really careful not to overtrade because um, most people, like if you're just a normal guy in the market, most people in the, like the big money in the market anyway, it's going to be smarter than you and quicker than you, right? So if you trade too much, they're just going to be sitting there taking your money um, while you might've had the right idea, you just can't execute it properly. So I think like when the market isn't easy and ranges usually aren't for normal people, um, one of the best things you can do is just sit tight or like accumulate whatever you like, do some fundamental research as Mimi as that sounds, um, because that's gonna reward you most rather than sitting there trying to catch every single rotation or trying to catch every single move because there's going to be plenty of move both ways, right? Um, so it's better to kind of just build your understanding of the space rather than like just trying to time everything perfectly. And you still get outperformed by the guy who buys a dog token and an ape picture the next cycle, but it's fine. <laughs> you're, you're doing the plus EV thing, right? Yep. <laughs> exactly. Well, as long as those people believed in their dog and ape, then full credit, you know? <laughs>
Um, let's take a swing, actually, at this L1 trade thesis while it's relevant, right? Because I guess the... I will ask, you know, how, are you happy with how you traded around there? You know, when did you join on or just some meat on the bone when it comes to that? Now, for our audience, I'm essentially referring to the I, largely the Sol Luna AVAX basket. That's probably the most common one in, in recent memory. There's a new Hasaka basket, which is currently taking the crypto, you know, our circle of crypto Twitter by storm. We might be able to touch on that. But I, the immediately cynical version is that this is going to be a bit like DeFi 1.0 where, you know, the whole sushi, Ave, comp, YFI, etc. Where I'm sure you remember, there was a certain time where if you were trading anything but the new DeFi coins, you were insane, right? Because that's where all the volume was, that's where all the very clean trends mm -hmm. were, that's where the trading was, etc. And that really just seemed to have changed the face of crypto and it had all this like fundamental stuff going for it, or I guess perceived fundamental stuff going for it. And then suddenly, you know, as things do in markets, DeFi went from being up only to chop only, and then it just bled against its benchmarks, be it ETH, uh, you know, even BTC, USD, whatever, for pretty much a year. And so if you were stale or stuck on that narrative, which at some point seemed like completely impervious to, you know, market forces, I guess, if you ended up stuck there, you know, you've had a rough time because you've been outperformed by people just holding their boomer coins, right? Is there a similar risk with the L1 trade where, you know, Solana was up like 15,000% in a year or whatever, uh, Sol Luna AVAX in general, like did a lot. Is there a world in which just like the DeFi stuff, it kind of just peters off and enters a period of uh, underperforming uh, the benchmark as we chase something new and shiny? Is there a stickiness that makes the L1 trade special? It's a good, it's a really good question. And I think that a lot of the L1 trade has been driven by a bunch of new entrants into crypto that are trying to do their research, but don't necessarily have the chops to do it. Allocating to L1s is sort of an index play on growth in crypto. And then retail basically hopping on all the all that crazy momentum, and I think you can kind of see this basically because the last a lot of the last trades that have happened in the L1 space they're all ecosystem round driven. So I mean, even even look at AVAX. Uh, a, a, a lot of the popping off from from AVAX, from from Phantom, from you know the the small move that Algo managed to make at that one point in time uh, was all was all because of you know institutional capital coming in and then retail kind of hopping on to that flow and i think that institutional capital is coming in for the reason that i just that i just described and so i don't think that's going to stop uh in a in a big way and i still think l1s are a reasonable bet to make on on uh, on crypto like if you, if you don't know exactly what dApps to invest in or you don't know exactly how to allocate to crypto then l1s are they're actually a pretty good bet um, to make to make an aggregate. Now the issue is that all these different L1s, the reason that they got a ton of usage is because they were all incentivized. And so, you know, AVAX had that incentive program. FTM is running running incentive programs. A lot of these a lot of these assets are are, are subsidized. Uh, a lot of this activity is subsidized in a sense, right? And so, what do you get then if if everybody's incentivized and every and everybody's subsidized? Uh, well, I don't know yet. And basically what's been, what, what has been happening is that people are incentivizing at different times and that's driving attention to different places at, at different times. And the reality is that most users, it's like, they don't care that the AVAX consensus mechanism is better right now. They don't, they, they don't care at all. They just care where they can, where they can make the most money. I think 
in the long run, it will matter because what you'll see is that a lot of L1s that aren't built particularly well or that are kind of sloppily put together versus the good ones, you're going to see the sloppy ones go down a lot more. And you're going to see, you know, a lot of people claim that they're going to get, they're getting unusable over time. And so in the long run, it matters. But in the short run, this rotation trade, I think it basically happens until capital runs out to incentivize users to, to move over from, from place to place. And so I think that's kind of the main thing that you have to that you have to look out for is okay. Well, when you're trying to when you're trying to plot out these trades, well, why did FTM and One and and Adam pop off so much? Well, a lot of it is because Adam is getting a ton of airdrops, so that's incentivizing people to to port over. On FTM, it's because Danielle and Andre are pushing a ton of airdrops to F to projects on FTM, and they're funneling their retail base there. And on one, actually, a lot of it is for, from DeFi kingdoms. I mean, that that is actually probably the most interesting one to me because it, it's an actual product that's driving people to, to use that L1. And so that's probably the most real from my perspective of like uptick in activity and why and why it's doing well. And I mean, I say that, but, you know, one wasn't working for a while. So like when I say real, I just mean the reason, not necessarily the platform, uh, like the reason is real, like one i mean it, it literally went down and somehow price was still going up but i guess that's crypto for you <laughs> uh you know we should probably just max along anytime something goes down but i i do i do think that this trade that this trade probably continues for at least some time probably through q1 my bet and maybe this is a little bit of a hopeful bet is that dApps are going to have a resurgence and you're kind of seeing the you're seeing the underpinnings here because a lot of them what they're doing right now is they're working on revamping their token models to be even more Ponzi-esque. And I think that's a net win for speculators that have crazier Ponzi's to punt. And so I think that they're going to move to dApps at some point soon. I'm just not exactly sure when that is. Uh, but I do think at the the innovation is happening with dApps. Whereas, you know, three months ago, innovation was actually happening on L1s. Like ecosystem funds were a new thing. Incentives uh, were, were, were actually quite quite a new thing, like VC incentives were, were quite a new thing that were being pushed out through VCL1, so that was innovative. And new new types of applications, like a Trader Joe, like the, the ability to ape in early to a new project on an L1, like that was ki that's kind of innovative, if you see what I'm saying, right? It's a, it's a new way to draw people in to get them to use your product. And I think that's what's happening now with dApps, is, is they're the ones that are being innovative and, draw, and drawing people in to use their product. So that, that's why I'm looking at uh, at DApps for like Q2, Q3, uh, and L1s for you know maybe a couple more weeks. <laughs> yeah, man, nice to get a concrete thesis. I think where my mind immediately goes is when the rotations are so kind of cerebral, and you can point towards like a very clear incentive. And you mentioned the Ponzi nomics are being ramped up because that's kind of what we're good at. You can kind of use that to get a sense of the market more broadly. Like when, we, when everything was up only and there was this nice, I love this term you mentioned, wealth effect of, you know, Bitcoin going up, ETH going up, etc. Like you could just stay long Solana for months and not have to worry about like anything ever, right? Even if you didn't know it at the time, you know, the, the trends were just like very strong and there was no reason not to bet on longevity. Where It, it seems like now, and I, I could be off pulse here, but I'd be surprised, um, everyone's almost kind of cynical about their bags and, and the L1 trade, at least at this point, where you're going like deeper into ecosystems, you're going down the market cap list, uh, and the time horizons of those trades seems to be shrinking, uh, you know, because people still, I think in the back of their minds, at least pay attention to like Bitcoin, ETH, macro, etc. And there's a kind of a contraction 
in attention spans or you know willingness to stay long do you think that makes any sense that like you know when the market's positive it's like i guess conviction is up and rotation requirements are lower and then you know during this a more uncertain environment it's this pvp and uh, i guess increased cynicism and lower time horizon does that make any sense yeah yeah it makes uh it makes a ton of sense i think i mean price price begets sentiment i think that's that's just really really key and actually, one of the things I look for when I'm trading is for price to diverge with sentiment. And that is a great, great indicator. So whenever, okay, so you're trading a downtrend. Bitcoin pumps 3% in that downtrend. What are people saying? Are they, oh my God, we just printed bottom. It's all over. We're going up now. That's really bearish. If they're saying, ah, no, this is just another dead cap bounce. We're all going lower. It's, it's the end. That's really bullish. And I think like the divergence between price and sentiment is actually super important but the majority of time what happens is price follows follows sentiment and so sometimes when things are trending you don't really you you, you don't want to be the contrarian like when you just see the start of a trend and people are extremely exuberant about something and it's a small group of people that are extremely exuberant about it you generally don't want to don't don't want to fade it um one thing that i'll say is that when i'm trading alt and when i'm looking at you know how people are reacting to the markets and how they're how they're feeling about it what i try to do with bitcoin is i try to set levels to where i think people feel comfortable because i think that's the key for alts doing well in order for alts to do well people have to feel comfortable with the current market that it's not going to rug out from under them and so one thing that i do every day with all with all my you know when i have a large amount of alts in my book i'll go into the market and i'll try to understand where are people going to feel uncomfortable so actually right now at 43k People feel pretty comfortable. And why do people feel pretty comfortable? Because we spent a decent amount of time at 41. We spent a decent amount of time at 40. You know, we tried to break through 40. And 43 at this point to a lot of people, it actually feels pretty good. It's like, okay, you know, we're, we're almost 10% off, off the lows. I don't think we're going to cascade here. I think if we go lower, I'm going to get time to get out of the market. And so I feel comfortable enough to buy alts and let alts do their thing. You know, if we're trading... 41k then yeah over a long period of time you might get dispersion but people just aren't going to be punting alts in that scenario they're, they're going to feel pretty uncomfortable with the market they're going to say hey we're kind of teetering on edge i don't really want to be on risk i don't know what's happening i don't feel happy here and so they're not going to punt alts so a lot of my short-term trading is, is is actually centered around that is okay where where do people feel happy and comfortable with the markets and if we're there and alts haven't moved do i think i can make a bet on alts moving um, or, you know, how, do, how should I, how should I be positioning there? So a little bit of that is, is obviously subjective. Um, a lot of it is, uh, is, is objective and you can, you can quantify this, although I won't say too much on that point. Um, but yeah, it, it, the subjective part is also helpful, you know? running running twitter polls and and whatnot is, is pretty useful actually yeah, for sure no that's a really good uh framework to employ it just seems like you know to some extent an alpha contraction phase s seems to be the prevailing trend where like bitcoin is just the s p 500 downside simulator you've probably got no alpha there uh, altcoins aren't as easy as before because rotations are tighter you need to actually bridge and use ecosystems and be more aware of the fundamentals etc so you know interesting year ahead avi let's do a lightning round because i know we're somewhat pressed for time you, you can make the answers as short or long as you want um right. and we just got this kind of dotted down that we discussed before the podcast so basically one thing you were really right about and then one thing you were really wrong about so this is for last year 
Okay, so the one thing I was right about was the rounded top on Bitcoin. I'm pretty yeah. proud of that call. People uh, should go so back and listen to that episode. That was that was really good. I was, I was happy about that. The one thing that I was wrong about, um, I'm trying to I'm trying to think. I mean, oh here we go. <laughs> oh, oh man, I was I was so bearish on Shiva right before it pulled a 10x. Oh. That was I wasn't I wasn't short it, but I was telling I told all my friends, oh no, it's going to zero. And then they all hated <laughs> me after that. This was after like it, you know how it pulled that move in the beginning. This was after it got on Coinbase and then it pulled that move like three months, four months yes. ago. I was, I was so convinced it was going to zero. Anyway. <laughs> Final two. Uh what's the most interesting theme slash sector going into this year and then what's the most overblown or uninteresting theme or sector going into 2022 for you at least where your attention is divided uh that's a that that's a that's a really really good question but i think i can do you one better let's do it than that i can give you all of the themes that i'm looking at let's right do now. it so one thing that i'm super bullish on is bringing real world assets into crypto and so those are names like centrifuge goldfinch credits uh, what I'm seeing right now is I'm seeing a ton of people in the TradFi world. They wanna they wanna get access to the capital from the crypto world. So there are a lot of credit funds that are actually going to somebody like Goldfinch, and they're saying, "Hey, if you can, we can pay you 12% uh, source capital for us." And they basically spun up this uh, this garden to allow you to loan to credit funds with USTP through crypto, earn 12% by lending to these funds and then also get tokens on top. So you're getting something like a blended 25, 30% yield that's relatively safe. But then what can you do with that? You actually get issued a token against that. So you can go borrow against it. You can go sell it. You can do whatever that, whatever you want with it. It's kind of sick. Um, I mean, full disclosure, we're investors in a couple of these platforms, but I'm pretty bullish on this. I think there's a lot of capital that's going to flow through that. Also very bullish on structured products and option vaults, which I think the broader market is, is pretty, pretty bullish on. Super bullish on Curve and Toke Wars. So anything to do with Convex, Redacted, any new form of accumulating Toke and Curve, I think is super bullish personally. And that, that kind of plays into the next theme, which is DAP restructuring and token economic restructuring and DAP resurgence. I think probably the most overblown theme right now are layer ones. I, I think that too many people are spending too much time analyzing layer ones and not enough time looking at what's happening uh in the in the dap space right now so i think that's probably like every single tweet that i see on crypto twitter is about now one and ecosystem funds about this and this and this it's like there, there's i i think that in in three months people are going to stop talking about l1s personally avi this was awesome let's do it again sometime yeah this was awesome thank you again for having me on it's always good chatting with you guys even if you make me sick every time <laughs> Great. Um, Duck, thank you. Avi as well. To our audience, we're back, sort of. No promises. We'll try to get interesting people to talk to us about interesting things. Thanks to the FTX app and have an awesome year or January at least. Let's start there. Cheers, guys. Cheers.